You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. It's okay. We've had a great morning of some technology stuff going on. And it's just proving how much we aren't a perfectly put together type of people. And that's okay, because that's the type of people we are. Just real people in a real world. And, and that's been so good for us over the past few weeks with Romans chapter 8. I don't know about you, but it's been so encouraging for me. And I'm sure it has been for you as we've been journeying through Romans chapter 8, just how real and amazing our God is. And we've been reminding ourselves that at the beginning of Romans chapter 8, it teaches us that there is therefore no... Whoa, what happened? (laughs) We'll try that again. There is therefore no condemnation. Amen. And it ends with the truth that we will have no separation. Separation. It's been so good to be in God's word over these past few weeks. And last week we specifically focused on the reality of going from groaning to glory because the creation is waiting eagerly and humanity is waiting eagerly for the full adoption of God's son and daughters. We wait for glory. We look forward to glory because the creation has been subjected to futility, meaning that in the garden, when sin came into the world, there was earthquakes, there was, uh, there was sin, and there was pain, there's suffering, and there's sickness, and all of that groaning. We have to look forward to being over when we receive glorified bodies to be with the Lord for those who put their faith in Jesus. And we are going to continue to find out what we do in the waiting. That's what this passage is about. What do we do in the waiting while we are waiting for glory? What is God doing in us and how do we run to him? How is his spirit present in us? Because the reality is this world is very real. Very real. Very raw. And you know what? It's a little rough at times. And so today you don't need phony feel-good stuff to uh, pretend that the world isn't there and that it's not rough and that it's not hard. You need the truth. Because there are so many religions, there are so many ideas and out, uh, uh, things out there, perversions of Christianity that try to help us ignore reality. They try to help us escape reality. That's what substance abuse is. That. That's what it is, is to escape reality. There are so many ideas out there of, oh, well, don't speak out evil because then it'll... Stuff out there, it tries to ignore reality. Well, we have a God the real God who lives in our lives, who lives in us, the Holy Spirit, not so we can ignore it, not so that we can escape reality, but so that we can face it with the truth. And so that's what we're going to be um, enjoying today, to learn to fall in love with the way that the Holy Spirit helps us face reality. And we're going to talk about him as the helper, as our advocate to face this world. And in two verses, we're going to unpack this to remind ourselves of how amazing he really is. So turn with me to Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Two powerful verses here that are going to help us understand and enjoy who the real Holy Spirit is. 
There's a lot of beliefs out there. There's a lot of talk. And even I realized this week as I was going into the study of God's word that even I had some wrongful ideas about who the Holy Spirit is. And so may God's word lead us and correct us and teach us today. The first reality, the first thing that we learn is that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. He helps us in our weakness. The Holy Spirit as helper is not a secondary mission of the Spirit. It is the primary description of what his role and his activity is. Holy Spirit as helper. There are other ways that people have described him, but helper is the best way to understand his primary role, his primary mission, his primary personality. He longs to help us. And this is how Jesus describes him in, in, the, in the Gospel of John. He uses this word, parakletos. Parakletos means comforter, helper, present help. And as we look at Romans 8, just looking back, just at Romans chapter 8, we will find out so much about the Holy Spirit. Verse 2 says that he gives us life and he sets us free. Verse 4 says that he helps us walk in life and in peace rather than in the flesh. Verse 9 says he is present in us so that we are seen as belonging to God. Verse 11 says the Spirit is our promise of life after death. And verse 12 says that he helps us put to death the deeds of the body. And then verse 13 says he is our proof of adoption into God's family that we might call out to God, Abba, Father, as our Father. We are adopted in and this is good news. I, I so recommend you reread chapter 8 of Romans just from the perspective of noting the wonderful truths about who the Holy Spirit is and how he is our helper. Now, one thing about that is this, is we can look back and just see who the Holy Spirit is, but then we have to also look back at Romans chapter 8 and realize how much we need him how much we really need to him, how much we are to be dependent on the Holy Spirit. Depending on him means that we need to be dependent. We can't be independent. We need to celebrate being dependent on the Holy Spirit. And as this verse says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We need to embrace weakness. We need to embrace being dependent on him. 2 Corinthians 12 Chapter, nine and, uh, chapter 12, sorry, verse 9 and 10, it says this. Paul was being attacked, uh, by the way, for context, Paul was being attacked by these uh, super prophets, super apostles. And they were calling him out and they were saying, don't listen to Paul, he's, he's not qualified to really teach. They were saying, he's, he's too weak. He's just too weak. He's not influential. He doesn't have all the right words. And Paul gets back to them in this uh, letter to the Corinthians and he says, I'm not just weak. You have no idea how weak I really am. I am gloriously weak is the way that Paul talks about himself. This is what he says. He said, Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Christ's power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul continues, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses. I am content with insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Christ's power is made perfect in our weaknesses. So we need to stop trying to pretend we're strong. We don't need to pretend we're strong. If we want the Holy Spirit and power to move in our life, then we need to admit that we are weak. 
We, if the Holy, Holy Spirit's primary mission, his primary heart is to help us in our weaknesses, then why is it that so much of church and Christianity seems to be just furthering this idea of well-put-together, shiny, plastic Christians? Why does the church look like that some days? Because you will not find in the Bible the belief that you are to be the source of your strength. That is not in the Bible. He is the source of our strength. You will not find in the Bible that you are to be immovable, untouchable, indestructible, strong. We are to be weak. And that might sound normal to your head, and that sounds right in your head, maybe because you've been around Christian circles, but our eyes and our ears, they can deceive us. They can deceive us into thinking something else about what the real Holy Spirit moves and works in. Because we all have seen shiny plastic pastors, shiny plastic Christians, people with seemingly faultless marriages, people with perfect parenting, people with uncompromising disciplines. It seems like people who are just beautiful and influential, people who are articulate, they just seem to be thriving, not groaning. Yet this passage says that we are to be groaning and that people... As Christians, we are not to be strong, but weak. Because that's where Christ's power is made perfect, in our weakness. And I can only imagine just how much this belief has really been propelled over this past year with online church and church from home. You see, we, we spent a good chunk of this past year pre-recording our services on Fridays. We would do that. We would prep, and I would spend a good chunk of my day um, trying to prep the technology, the lighting, and the video, and, and making sure that the, the, the sermon slides were there. And there's so many people pouring into making sure that that happened well. And we did that because for so many of us, all church was was a TV with a video signal, and, and it, had some, it had some familiar faces of people who love the gospel, love Jesus, and encouraging us to worship. And so we wanted to do it well. We wanted to do it with excellence, that people might escape the idea that they're in their living room and, and embrace the idea that they are before the Lord in worship. And, but my Sundays looked very different from my Fridays. Fridays, I had been showered and shaven. I had, you know, I put my hair up or whatever. I did my hair. I wore nice clothes. But Sunday morning looked very different. <laughs> Sunday morning looked very different. Right, Sunday morning, I, we would be waking up, and my wife and I, we had a, a, another child last year, so we had three kids, three and under, and so my mornings looked like trying to get the Keurig coffee to brew as much coffee as possible, all right, it was changing diapers, I was trying to relieve my wife because you think I was exhausting for me on Sunday, she did that every day, <laughs> so I just tried to give her a little relief on Sunday, and, and just changing diapers and getting clothes on, for some reason, keeping clothes on toddlers feels impossible some days and so we took church with whatever clothes was on the kids and and I would look at the tv and you know what I would see I'd see me I'd see me from a few days earlier I'd see me with showered and clean and 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 nice clothes and then I was looking at me on the screen and looking at me in the living room and the kids around me and that guy looked shiny and plastic and we were intentional. We were invested in, in doing those things with genuine hearts. But the reality is we have to embrace that we're not to chase after being shiny plastic Christians. We are to be people of weakness. And so this is what we're going after as a church. We are going after vulnerability and transparency. When we do groups, we don't do groups just to study the Bible and fill our heads with Bible knowledge. We actually have a very intentional good chunk of time where in our mixed groups where our men go with our men and our women go with our women and they go and they share their weaknesses with each other. 
vulnerability, transparency. And it's not just a pity party of weaknesses. It's actually often even a celebration of how the Holy Spirit has been helping us in our weaknesses. Because the victory isn't ours, it's his. He has won that for us. His strength is working in our weaknesses. And so we pray for each other and we lift each other up in our groups and we share with each other in vulnerability because we are people who understand that in order to be filled with the Spirit, with His power, we need to embrace and understand that we are people of weakness. You see, the most powerful moments of the Spirit moving in my life have not been from a place with a microphone and a stage and a guitar. Those have not been the, the most euphoric moments with the Spirit. You want to know what those have been like? They've been dark corners with weeping tears. They have been valleys low. They have been hard times when I've realized, man, I am... I am a mess. I have weaknesses. I have struggles. I am not the perfect parent or husband or perfect anything. I need the power of God in my life. Those have been when the Spirit has moved powerfully in my life. And, and, and if you really want to embrace the Holy Spirit, if, if today you feel you have no spiritual power in your life, you have no relationship with God, I want to tell you that the most important thing you could do today is this, is admit that the greatest weakness in your life is sin. The greatest weakness is sin. Sin, it, it corrupts us and, it, and it, it puts distance and it separates us from God, but Jesus Christ died on a cross for your sins and my sins and so that we could all come to the cross in the posture of weakness, face down saying, save me, I need your power, I need you. And so if you want to have the power of the Holy Spirit move in your life, don't wait for some stage. Don't wait for some dancing moment of joy and gladness and think the Spirit comes then. The Spirit comes when you are face down before the cross, repented for your sins. That's when it happens. It is not a secondary experience. He comes in full and he comes to help. And I think this is probably one of the most challenging aspects of this lesson for myself today. Because we all have this temptation to want to look like shiny plastic put together people. But we want the spirit to move, then we want to embrace weaknesses. And I just, I think what we should do right now, before we even go any further in the sermon, I think we should just stop and just pray. And just, would you just pray with me? Let's just pray. Father, the reality is you work mightily in our weaknesses and powerfully. We pray that you would help us to embrace weakness. We pray that you would help us to admit to our sin, come before the cross repentant. And Lord, there are some here even today maybe who don't know you personally and have been trying to prove how strong they are. God, I pray that you would work in their lives to come before you, that they would embrace weakness and receive the power of your Holy Spirit as they put their faith and trust and hope in Jesus Christ. We pray this, O oh God, in your holy name. Amen. Just excuse me for a second. I'm going to put this little foam thing on the microphone so hopefully it doesn't... There we go. A little less wind noise. Fantastic. Speaking of the microphone, the second thing we learn is that the Holy Spirit amplifies our groanings. He amplifies our groanings. Look at this passage. It says, For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, 
but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Too deep for words. The Spirit is groaning with groanings too deep for words. And, and some have heard this. They hear the idea of the Holy Spirit groaning and they've jumped to conclusions regarding speaking in tongues. But this is not about speaking in tongues. And it, it wouldn't make sense because as you look at Romans chapter 8, as we're looking back, the creation is groaning. We are groaning. And so if the creation is growing, groaning without tongues, then we are groaning without tongues. It doesn't apply here. But it is interesting that the Spirit groans. And here's why it's interesting and here's why it's so encouraging. Because the reality is the creation groans because it's been subjected to the futility of sin. It's, it's been cursed. There's earthquakes and natural disasters. So that's why the earth and the creation groans. And we groan because we've been subjected to the curse and futility of sin. Our bodies are decaying and we have disease and sickness and strife. But the spirit isn't subjected to futility. So why would he be groaning? Well, what we find out here is because he's our intercessor, because he intercedes for us, he's groaning our groanings. He's hearing our groanings. He's with us present in our lives. And he's saying, I want you to be heard. And I want you not be heard, but just by me, the Holy Spirit. I want the heavens to hear. I want everyone to hear and how you are groaning, how life is. You see, when we pray, we don't just pray some like helium balloon prayer and let it go. And I uh, hope. Something gets it. When we pray, the Holy Spirit paints the skies with the groanings of our lives so that the heavens hear the groanings of our lives. What a privilege that we would have God in us to advocate for us in such a way that he is not only present with us, but he is present with us and empathizes what we're feeling and, then, and what we're going through, and he amplifies it. What an encouragement. That's what it means when it says that the Spirit groans. Uh, Ian, could you turn my mic off for a second? There's a difference when you're amplified. There's a difference, not only for the ones hearing, there's a difference for the one who, who wants to be heard. You want your prayers to be heard. You want your life to be heard by the Father. Here's the good news. The Holy Spirit is amplifying your groanings. What an encouragement. And we need the Spirit to amplify our groanings. We need Him to amplify those things because sometimes words just aren't enough. Sometimes words just don't cut it. There are hardships and there are trials that cause us pain and ache so deeply that we just can't even put the pain or the suffering or the frailty we're feeling, we just can't even put them into words. Rebecca and I, one of those moments where we were without words, one of those moments was when we lost our second baby. After Parker had been born, we were pregnant again. And, and the, the day, the, so we had, we had just found out we were pregnant, and we had called our families, we had told them, hey, we're pregnant, and here's good news, and, and join us in celebrating. And then the day after that, we went to the doctor to affirm and, and, and get a, an ultrasound, and, and the doctor sat us down and said, your baby is, is not alive, and you're going to have a miscarriage. And all the air went out of the room, and there was, there was just nothing that I could say. I, I, one of those moments where there's no words to put to the feelings and the desperation, the tension, the pain. 
And we go through moments like this because this world is real, it's raw. And these groanings are real. And so in the following days as we went through uh, what happened, I, I didn't have much to say. I didn't want to say any words. My, in my heart, I was, and even though I was not saying anything, in my heart I was thankful for the presence of God in that moment. A presence like I never deserved. A presence that told me even though I said nothing, I was still being heard. What beauty is in that? Even when you're wordless, that there's presence in that you're being heard. And just because there are no words doesn't mean there's silence either. Just because you're not saying anything doesn't mean there's not something going on in here. In those moments, there's a lot of rushed feelings and thoughts and there's considerations and, and you're, you're, you're built up and you're, 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 you're worked up. And you know what? I, I, I had to teach myself I, in that moment. I said, don't trust your feelings right now. Don't trust the hurt. Don't trust some of these ideas that are going through your head because they are contrary to what you know is true about God. And so I didn't say anything because sometimes what we want to say is not what we ought to say. Sometimes what we want to pray and that feelings, those feelings that mislead us, lead us away from truth. And the tension and the temptation of those moments makes us want to say things we shouldn't, accuse God of things we know aren't true. But here's the good news. Our Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit intercedes with you for, with groanings that are too deep for words. He groans with us so that we would be heard. He would advocate for us on our behalf even when we don't have the right words to put to our prayers. What a great truth that is. What a good comfort. Because sometimes it feels like people just have all the perfect words put together. They're just lyricists in prayer and their poems, poetic prayers, and it's just so articulate. And we feel like that's the pressure on us. The truth is the Holy Spirit helps us in the weakness of not knowing what to say. Because the Spirit is our parakletos. He's our helper. He's our comforter. He intercedes for us. And this is just how Jesus describes him. Jesus describes him throughout John, and he says this in John 16, 7. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Jesus is saying, it's better that I leave. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And this word, uh, parakletos, this word of helper, of, of present helper. It means that he is with us, presently helping with us. And this is so different from some of the ideas that, that God is to be our escape, our way out of problems. Some people treat Christians and they say Christians have a crutch because they're weak. But the reality is that God is not our means to escape this reality. He is our means to persevere through it. He's your guarantee that you will not be alone and that your pain will be heard. And this is so, so good, because sometimes we need perseverance, not escape. Becca and I have been watching a show on TV uh, about lawyers. We, we, uh, we probably like it because we don't know very much about the law, <laughs> and it's just entertaining. And, um, and, and this word parakletos is actually used quite often in a judicial sense when it's outside of the Bible as somebody who's an advocate in the courts, somebody who is speaking on behalf of someone. And I'm learning a lot from TV, okay? I'm learning a lot from TV about lawyers, okay? I'm learning that a lawyer needs to be two 
do two things really well in order for them to be a good lawyer. The first thing they need to do is they need to know their client. They need to understand their client, their context, their situation, their life. If the lawyer doesn't know enough, they can't help them. And so the lawyer needs to be present in their life and get as much context and information and, and gather that and, and, and care about their client. And just like this, the Holy Spirit is our present help, our present representative. He groans with us. He groans with us and he understands what we're going through and he wants to stand on our behalf. And this is where we get to the second piece because a good lawyer needs to understand the law. They need to understand the judicial system. They need to understand the role of the judge and the jury. They need to understand what pleases them. They need to translate the needs of their client into the language and the processes of the judicial system. That's what a good lawyer should do. Because if you just get someone who's speaking out of turn in court, your case will just get thrown out. You need someone who understands the law. And this leads us to our next verse. Because it says, following, it says, And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. He intercedes for us according to the will of God. He advocates for us like a good lawyer. Charles Spurgeon has this great illustration I want to share with you when speaking of this passage. He says, Suppose that a poor man had a great lawsuit, touching his whole estate, and he was forced personally to go into court and plead his own cause and speak up for his rights. If he were an uneducated man, he would be in a very poor plight. An adversary in the court might plead against him and, and overthrow him, for he could not answer him. And this poor man, he would know very little about the law and is, is quite unable to meet his cunning opponent. But suppose if one who was perfect in the law should take up his cause warmly. Suppose if this one should come and live with him, use all his knowledge so as to prepare the case for him, draw up his petitions for him, fill his mouth with his arguments, would that not be a grand relief for this poor soul? This counselor would suggest the line of pleading, arrange the documents and, and the arguments, but put them into a right courtly language. And when the poor man would be baffled by a question in law, he would go and he would run home and ask his advisor and he would tell him exactly how to meet the, uh, that objector. Suppose, too, that when he had to plea with the judge himself, this advocate at home should teach him how to behave and what to urge and encourage him to hope that he would prevail. Would this not be amazing and a great boon? Who would be the pleader in such a case? Yes, technically the poor client would plead, but still, when he won the suit, he would trace it all to the advocate who lived at home and gave him counsel. Indeed, it would be the advocate pleading for him, even while he was being pleading for himself. This is what it means. This is what it means to have the Holy Spirit as an advocate, according to the will of God. He knows the heart of the Father, and he shapes our words and our hearts accordingly. The Holy Spirit speaks the language of the will of the Father and he interprets what we're, what we're going through, what we're groaning through, and he brings that to the Father. 1 Corinthians 2, 10 to 11 says this, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is God. So he knows the heart of the Father. He knows the ways of God. He knows the will of God. He is God. So he interprets and he translates our groanings and our prayers according to the will of God. 
He advocates for our hearts to God. And this is such a good grace because the reality is sin so easily stains and it taints and it, it ruins how our desires, it ruins even sometimes how we pray. Sometimes when we're praying, there's a lot of selfishness in our prayers and pride riddled through our prayers. What good news that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us according to the will of God. He translates our selfishness and weeds that out and says, let me stand before you as your representative asking for things sometimes the wrong way or expecting results the ways that we shouldn't have. And the Spirit helps us and translates and inter interprets for us. Like a good lawyer representative, the Spirit puts our needs before God. When I was uh, a late teen, I really wanted to move out of my parents' house. I was just, I, was, I needed independence. I needed space, okay? All right, some of you know what that feeling is like. I just needed to get out from under my parents' And I wasn't really old enough to move out. I just needed to get out because I couldn't, I, I don't know, I was an angsty teen. What can I say? And, uh, and so I prayed. I prayed. I prayed that God would give me an apartment. I was willing to take any job, live in any place, eat anything that remotely looked like food, just as long as I could get independence. And we prayed. I prayed. I, I asked my friends, please pray that I would find an apartment, find a way to get out of this house and it's not that my parents were bad in any way. I was just a bad teenager, to be honest. And I just wanted out. And I asked God for this. And I'm sure part of my parents were hoping I would move out too, but they were graciously, continually saying, stay home, stay home, you don't need to move out. But God actually did answer my prayers, but not in the way I expected. He answered my prayers in, in a different way. You see, at that time, I was getting older and my sisters were getting older. My sister moved out to college, and so she had been living in a room in the basement, and my parents said, listen, you want space? Go live in the basement, you little bottom dweller, all right? They just said, go live in the basement. Go do that. Get your space. Get your independence. And they said, if I could clean up the, if I could clean up the basement, then the space was all mine. So what did I do? I, I bought a half-working microwave. I got a, uh, a cheap TV. I found a couch on uh, Kijiji for free, and I'm pretty sure it had like little insects in it and things like that and stains. But it was mine. It was my space, right? It was my place to hang out. It was my man cave. And God answered that prayer for me. He answered it not the way I was expecting, of course, but he answered it in that I was able to have this independence, this, this opportunity to really become my own man and get out from under my parents a little bit. And it was good. And the reality is that God really did, I believe fully, that he provided for me, but not in the way I was expecting. He provided, me, provided for me in a way that I, I, I actually deeply wanted within my soul. But he also shaped my heart through that. He taught me contentment. He taught me to be settled. He taught me not to be greedy. He told me not to ask him, you know, so boastfully and un, un, uh, un, without thinking. He taught me a lot and he shaped my heart. God answered my prayers with generosity according to his will because he does. He does. He's a generous God. He's a loving God. Matthew 7 says that God loves to give good gifts. Look, look with me. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For anyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. Or, the one, or to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, gives him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a certain serpent? 
If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good gifts to those who ask him? This is not teaching that you're promised prosperity. This is not teaching that God is some vending machine God where you can name it and claim it. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is God loves you and he loves to be generous to you. It might not be exactly what you're expecting, but he is going to love you generously. Right after this passage, next week we get to look forward to the reality as we unpack this verse. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. In the groaning, it's, no, it's nice to know and it's so comforting to know that when we call out to God, the Spirit advocates for us to a God who loves to be generous and loves to give good gifts. But when the Spirit advocates for our hearts, he's also reshaping our will and our desires through prayer. I'm just going to invite the band up right now. Because God, God doesn't just give us what we want. And thank goodness he doesn't some days. If we, if we really want true spiritual power, we have to ask God regularly to change our heart, to change our will. Not our will, but yours, O Lord. You see, when we depend on the Spirit to intercede for us, we will also learn to trust God's will more than our own desired outcomes. We will learn to live according to His purposes and His ways. You see, when the Spirit advocates for us, He's not just advocating for us to get what we want, He's advocating for our heart to change. He's saying, move in this, move in this sinner's soul to make them more like you. What good news! Because we don't need perseverance. We, sorry, we don't need escape. We need perseverance. We don't need prosperity. We need contentment. You don't need a different purpose. We have God's mission for us to live for. Romans 8, 5 says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And here's the good news. If you have given your heart over to Jesus Christ, if you have repented of your sin and given your life to following him, then the Spirit is making you new every day. You are becoming new every day. This is called progressive sanctification. And thank goodness God is shaping our hearts because if you're anything like me, you know how to make a good mess of your life. If you're anything like me, you know how to habitually make that same mistake in your marriage and work and, and in your parenting. But God is reshaping you because he loves you. And when he advocates for you, he advocates for changing your heart and your ways and your will to his ways and his will. This is such good news because I need help. We need help. And we need to admit our weakness to receive this help. And we are going to get help because the Holy Spirit will help us in our weaknesses. We are never going to be alone because the Holy Spirit will, even when we're quiet, he will amplify our groanings before the Lord. And he is advocating for us. Would we not as a church, would we not as families, as men and women, would we not be better off giving credit to where credit is due, searching for power where power is found, looking for help for where it really comes from in the Holy Spirit and not in ourselves? You and I can have hope. We can come alive because the Holy Spirit is our help. So let's call out to him for help. Let's call out to him in song and in prayer and let's admit our weaknesses and see his strength be shown in our lives. Would you join me in prayer right now? Lord, you've been so generous in sending your spirit to live in us. 
True power, we understand, O oh God, comes by admitting our weaknesses, our need of you. I pray, O oh God, that you would continue to move us in our hearts, that we might repent, turn from sin and selfishness and pride, and look to you and say, God, change me. Make me into your likeness. Thank you, O oh God, that you give good gifts. Thank you, O oh God, that you're so generous in your love. We just pray, O oh God, that you would shape our hearts that you would give us clean hands and hearts that look to you for help and hope and peace. We thank you for your present help. In your name we pray.